Hello, and thanks for listening to Behind the Brand, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of some of Australia's most exciting small business success stories. I'm your host, Jen LA, a serial entrepreneur who loves talking all things small business. Each week, I'll sit down with an incredible founder and ask them to share it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly, on my mission to find out exactly what it takes to run a successful small business. From startups to scale-ups and international success stories, you'll hear it all right here on Behind the Brand. If you love what you're hearing and want more, find me on Instagram and TikTok at behindthebrand.podcast. Of course, sharing the good vibes is always appreciated. Share this episode on your stories or leave a podcast review. A little bit of love goes a long, long way. But for now, sit back, relax and enjoy while I take you behind the brand. Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday and welcome to this week's episode of Behind the Brand. Today, I'm taking things back to my food and beverage industry roots and sitting down with the co-founders of Yes, You Can Drinks, Tyler Martin and Sophie Heatley. Tyler and Sophie are the couple behind the new award-winning no-alcohol cocktail brand that is taking the low and no-alcohol industry by storm. Tyler and Sophie sit down today and chat to me about the psychology about the movement to people drinking less or not drinking at all, how to market a drink as a solid cocktail substitution versus just a soft drink, how the hell you start a non-alcoholic cocktail brand when you have no history in product manufacturing and all of the challenges that come with launching a food and beverage product in the height of lockdowns when everybody should be out celebrating, but instead they are sitting at home. I know you're going to love today's episode, so let's jump straight into it. Sophie and Tyler, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Awesome to be here. I'm really excited. I actually got a special delivery yesterday from Yes You Can Drinks that I was just saying I'm going to be serving at my girls' lunch tomorrow. They'll be our non-alcoholic cocktails for lunch. So I'm very excited to get into the product, but I really can't wait to hear about your story. So before we go into all the ins and outs of the last 12 months, for people who may not know you or the brand, can you guys please introduce yourselves and what Yes You Can is all about? I'm Tyler, um, co-founder with Soph um, of Yes You Can. Uh, we, we like to think Australia's new favourite non-alcoholic canned moxow company. And uh, we're basically all about giving choice to the consumer and creating a really fun and funky brand that, you know, in, it's our goal to try and help make mindful drinking cool, um, if not, you know, destigmatized. Mm-hmm. That's my take, Soph. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Sophie. Really excited to be on the podcast. Tyler and I, you know, have been, we're, we're not really big drinkers ourselves. We've kind mm-hmm. of, we've been mindful drinkers without really realizing what that was. And it's only really until we read about it a bit more that we were like, oh, yeah, that's that kind of fits us. And there was just nothing out there that would satisfy the cravings of having a cocktail and, but without actually having the booze and the effects of feeling really hungover and mm-hmm. really gross. So, yeah, we're kind of here to try and solve that problem. That is the worst feeling. And the older I get, the more I'm just so uninterested in being hungover. Like 
the more precious your time becomes, the less time you want to spend it feeling like yeah. crap in bed on a Sunday morning, exactly. right? Exactly. Like, Just wait till you have kids as well. Yeah, so I know. It's oh. a whole, whole other <laughs> Let's talk about you guys first before we jump into the brand. So, yes, you can launch kind of late 2021. Tell me about Tyler and tell me about Sophie before 2021. In 2020, all of that, what were you guys doing? Yeah, so um, I guess my life was, well, our life, both of our lives were very different. Um, so 2020, obviously, with COVID, threw a whole heap of challenges our way. Um, before that, I was playing sports myself. I played played water polo and that was my sort of labour of love. Um, ended up going, taking that as far as I could and, and went to the 2016 Olympics, Amazing. which was um, the pinnacle of my sort of sporting career. Uh, whilst I was playing water polo, I had another small small business that I sort of ran in the swimwear and sportswear world uh, and then sort of exited that uh, sort of in that 2020 year and we were happy in, in, in Sydney and then COVID sort of struck at the same time. Soph was pregnant, um, which was amazing. And we then said we'd go back to New Zealand where Soph's family is to sort of bunker down for this COVID thing. It'll pass for a few a few weeks later. And, um, you know, we ended up staying a year. Yeah. So, Tyler, you had had some small business experience before. Soph, what were you doing before um, moving to New Zealand and once you had the baby? So Tyler and I met when I was uh, why I've moved over here to Sydney from New Zealand um, to start working at Google. So I was in sales oh. for them and I was there for, a, for a, yeah, a number of years and loved it. It was a great experience. And then I kind of decided I'm not really sure if the corporate world is like for me. And I then left to study psychology and I'm really interested in still trying to become a psychologist one day. But obviously studies were kind of put on pause when I fell pregnant and COVID hit and we moved back to New Zealand, not planning on moving back to New Zealand, but we ended up stuck there. And then coming back and helping Tyler with the business and managing our little one has has kind of taken up most of my time at the moment. I can imagine why. (laughs) So is it in New Zealand that you had the idea for Yes You Can? Tell me a little bit about like where that idea come from. Like, did you have an aha moment? Like, oh my God, this is our next opportunity or yeah, tell me through the journey of that. Yeah, we did. It was actually when New Zealand had come out of lockdown. And so we in New Zealand, we were COVID free for a really long time. So things felt pretty normal. You still had to, you know, check in and at places and, you know, wear masks where possible. Mm-hmm. But um, it felt pretty normal to be out and about again and, and for COVID to not be a thing. And we were out with friends um, at this beautiful restaurant and we were all just sitting there and it was like a beautiful sunny day. And all of our friends were ordering ordering cocktails. They're ordering, you know, Aperol spritz, which is like my favorite. And everyone's just having a great time. And I'm sitting down the end pregnant, being like drinking my sparkling water, being like, this kind of sucks. You know, I don't feel like I'm socially included in something. You know, it wasn't even just missing the the taste of having the cocktail, which was part of it. But the other part was just I felt really socially excluded at that point in my pregnancy. And it was kind of that moment that really, you know, sparked Tyler and I to start talking more about why isn't there something out there that kind of ticks that box. And we just started talking more, but it just really, it really sparked a conversation about our own drinking habits and 
how we're only really social drinkers. And even still, mm. when we socially drink, we don't like how we feel the next day. We don't like the effects of alcohol, but we love to have a cocktail with friends. So mm-hmm. that's kind of that was kind of the aha moment where it all started. Right. Yeah, so that was the that was the culmination of that sort of aha moment. I think for me personally, um, you know, from a sporting background, there was plenty of nights where we had you know too, one too many drink with with you know with the boys, the classic stuff, um, and there was plenty of times as well when I was with my uh, my non sporting friends, I suppose, where there, I would you know have to have a fake vodka soda or whatever kind of just to sort of feel like I was fitting in. Mm-hmm. I'll pretend that I was drinking and you know, and then sort of sneak out the back door and because I had a game or training or a flight or whatever it may have been. That's when so you get I think, them to put the soda and lime in a short glass with ice yeah. and a straw rather than a long glass, yes. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, a lot of people, m- most people probably have been there at some point yeah. in, their, in their lives when, you know, there's that sort of external pressure, hey, everyone's drinking, you're boring, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we kind of sort of, like that was there, that was building at some point inside and I think resonates with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that aha moment was, as Soph sort of talked about. So it was kind of, you know, the meeting of two needs and then we kind of thought, let's make something. We didn't know a thing, single thing about um, how to bring a product in that space to market or where mm-hmm. to even start. We just thought, let's make something that would feel right for us mm-hmm. and you know, hope that enough people out there are in a similar position. I can really resonate with that. Being pregnant, I've just actually come back from Fiji and we would do pre-dinner drinks and I would sit there with my sister and my husband and, you know, she'd have a Cosmo and he'd be having a beer and all they really had on the menu, one was like three different types of juice mixed together with ice Mm. and then the other option was like banana with coconut cream and you're just like, you know, that's not sitting well in 30 degrees heat. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was literally just me drinking bottles and bottles and bottles of sparkling water because yeah. there was nothing. And I I know I wasn't excluded from the social part of it, but there is something there. Where I'm like, I wish I could partake in this a little bit somehow. Yeah. And it wasn't about no one was, you know, getting absolutely hammered. We're on a family holiday. But like feeling like exactly like you just said then Sophie like there's just that like that little part of missing out when everyone's doing that in enjoying a cocktail with everyone that um that it feels isolating sometimes yeah and because you know intrinsically we are social creatures like we as humans have survived because we learn how to work together and so it's it's a very natural thing to want to fit in and and to feel connected with people and it is kind of weird how you know alcohol so like interwoven into the fabric of society and and connecting with one another but you still want that connection but you just don't want the alcohol and there's so many people we've spoken to they don't want the alcohol either but they want to feel connected and part of you know a tribe in a sense yeah absolutely now Tyler you just touched as well on before that you've got no experience launching a beverage or food and beverage product before you know sport Google sales. So obviously, I mean, I know you said you had the small business before, but nothing in that kind of food manufacturing industry, which is a really hard industry at the best of times. Where do you even start? What was your first point of what do we do? Do we just Google how to like beverage manufacturers or what did that look like? Yeah, so I'll give you the nutshell version, um, only because the real version we need to, you know, it'd be a week long podcast. <laughs> it um, is in food and beverage, absolutely. But it was, you know, I think in many ways our naivety was was a positive. Mm-hmm. I think if we knew that all the roadblocks that we would have come up against and have come up against and, and continue to come up against 
Um, it would it might have been a bridge too far early days, but you know as you just keep clearing one hurdle, you're kind of like okay, we're so far down now that it's actually less. The hurdles are smaller and less frequent than you know at the start that you don't have that foresight. Basically, to start, and I'm not from hospitality either, so I wasn't even plugged into like a, a community of you know mixologists and cocktail experts. So we really had to sort of just figure out okay, who do we know who knows someone who is a really reputable cocktail. Uh, maker, bartender, mixologist, but but someone who's who's top. So we actually had a, an old friend of mine who I used to swim with, funnily enough, way back in the day. hadn't had lost touch, but she sort of originally helped just give us a bit of a guideline around. Hey, these are what industry standard leading cocktails are. Here's a list of ten or twelve of them. This is how we would make them in our um, venue to make them, you know, top notch. Um, there you go. Then we basically did some internal experimenting with some more mixology um, contacts and consultants that we kind of just sort of um, wrangled in from here and there uh, for a period of time and just refined what that alcoholic drink would be like, took into consideration that we wanted to put them in a canned format. So it was going to be different to how you would, you know, traditionally make it in a glass. So we wanted to be able to drink out of the can and also glam up in a glass with garnish and have that, um, have the the food chemistry right so that the car, everything from the carbonation to the beet, bitterness and sweetness sort of um, married up in both formats. So like an Aperol, for example, is quite a syrupy drink. And if it's not carbonated right, then it doesn't taste good unless it's garnished with glass and, and a big wedge of orange. So everything down to that, I guess, fine art um, was a, an ongoing process. How did you find a manufacturer mm. to start to think, you know, great, we'll be on board with this vision because you really need your manufacturing team to be on board with what you're trying to achieve in your brand. Yeah. So we re- I didn't know where to start as well and it wasn't super easy to find. It's not just a simple matter of Googling, um, hey, where do I make a drink type thing and, and you get a whole list of detailed options. Um, it was a lot of feeling out, hey, who do you know here, who do you know there, et cetera, et cetera. And then we made a spreadsheet of about five or six canning um and bottling companies that we wanted to reach out to. We reached out to all of them. We got terms, we got price, and we kind of sold them on the vision. By this stage, by the way, we didn't have a, a beverage that even tasted good. We didn't even have a brand refined, but it was kind of keeping all the balls in the air mm-hmm. um, and you know not letting one get too far ahead of the other. Um, and so we got one. We thought, great, the pricing's good, the turnaround's good, everything's great. So a little bit further down the track, we, we refined our flavors. We were really happy with where we were. We refined our branding. We were ready to go. We sent all of our empty cans up there. We sent all our ingredients from sourced from all over, bitters from Italy, grapefruit from Australia, stuff from New Zealand, ginger from here. So like got all that stuff on a number of pallets, sent it up to the, the manufacturing plant. And the week before we were going into production, they said, oh, we can't do what you're doing because it requires this certain type of preserving technique and we wanted to be as natural as we can and we didn't mm. want x and y chucked in there mm-hmm. um, and hit this, the carbonation thresholds i'm getting a bit sciencey but long story short we sent all of our stuff up there pallets bomb pallets and the last minute they're like we can't do it so then we had to then i was like holy shit um we are screwed mm-hmm. we were already so far in it heaps of money time effort and energy in it and we basically called the rest of that spreadsheet and said, hey, can we do this? Can we do this? What can we do? And finally wrangled our way into another one that just so happened to be in Melbourne, which was great, but our cans and everything had to come back down from Brisbane to Melbourne. So it cost us a significant amount of money 
to actually just correct that and stress and years mm-hmm. off my life to correct that all. How did you go about actually funding it? Because most people know when you start a product-based business, especially something in a consumable product, there's usually a high minimum order quantity that yep. you have to adhere to. They're not going to just make you a slab just to test yep. it out and see if people like it. Yep. Were you funding that through your day jobs? Did you take on like family and friend investment? Was it credit cards? How did you manage yeah. that? You're dead right. It's a really capital intensive business and particularly to do it properly, which is probably not the right way to say it, but we didn't want to leave any stone unturned. We wanted to be a serious brand from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, printed cans, nice marketing, you know, you name it. And it was expensive and we did waste a lot of money. How we funded it, I had a small business beforehand that I exited. So there was a little bit of rollover from that. Nothing to retire on, but enough to get the wheels enough, in motion. Yeah, perfect. And then Sophie had some savings and we combined our money together and put a fair bit of it into getting this thing off the ground. I agree with you. I think in terms of like bringing a product to market, I think there's some products that you can go forward with a really scrappy kind of minimum viable product and the market will accept it and you change the packaging as you go and scale it up and refine it as you go. But I think if you're going into retailers straight away and also if you're a consumable product, there's probably a level of people want to trust what they're putting in their mouth. (laughs) Um, And if it looks like, you know, it's been made in someone's backyard, that's not really something that people are going to purchase. Tell me about the branding. Does one of you handle that creative side more than the other? Um, it's pretty split, to be honest. I think Soph and I balance each other out really, really well. She's got a really keen eye for um, for brands and I've got a reasonable eye for brand, I think. And we actually push and pull off each other's opinions and don't always agree, but I guess the proof is in that the brand is actually quite strong and people do seem to resonate with it. Sophie, tell me a little bit about launch. So you had the products made, you've got the manufacturer in Melbourne now creating them for you. What was launch like? Was this something you launched, and this, I guess, speaks to your sales background, did you launch this straight into retailers? Was it e-commerce, food service? Like, what was it for you guys? So, we actually were pretty naive in thinking, like, how quickly we could launch this company or this brand. And from the start of the concept of the idea to when we actually got off the ground took a significant amount of time. And we were getting pretty impatient because we're like, we just want to get it out there. We're so proud of what we've done. We really want people to get out. But we just what we also really wanted to make sure that what we had was perfect. Like we mm-hmm. need just especially because we don't have a background in it, we couldn't just half-ass it. Like we needed to make sure the product tasted perfect and looked perfect before we got it out there. And how and long then, was that? Tyler, how long from start? Uh, from the very, very first sample we had to the confirmed design, I think it was like Over something year, like right? yeah, just under a year. But like twenty six iterations, sourcing this, changing yeah. that. It was um, it was like a really long process, and uh, it's not something that we anticipated taking so long. But you get basically one opportunity for people to like it or not. Didn't want to rush it. I think yeah. as well getting to sample stage, that there's time there as well. That's when, you know, you've got to do all that groundwork. So did you have retailer contacts that you'd begun reaching out to? How you were saying before you tried to have everything in the air at the start or? We just, we wanted to launch online because I think there was still a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, what are we doing? We don't have backgrounds in this is this good? Is this a good idea? Are people going to love it? So we wanted to just launch locally in Bondi and online 
and just kind of see how the market took it. And we were really focused on social media and sort of having a digital presence. And and we got a lot of traction off that, which was really awesome. People were really kind. We'd send them some drinks and they'd post about us. And we got a lot of traction really quickly. And it was really nice to see. And then we were, you know, Tyler got us into some of the um, like best cafes and restaurants around Bondi. And we really wanted to seed the brand here in our area before sort of growing it wider. I think potentially if we had our time again, we probably would have gone to the big distributors and and sold the product in before launch. But I think we just weren't, we weren't sure enough of ourselves at that Mm -hmm. early stage. A hundred percent. Like we did tastings, we did focus groups, we did everything we thought that would give us confidence to launch. But we weren't from hospitality and we weren't from FMCG and we weren't from liquor, essentially. So there was definitely a degree of imposter syndrome and we wanted to almost test and hope that people liked it. And we sent it to like a whole bunch of people, you know, I always say obligation-free, alcohol-free. So like take the drinks, don't feel like you need to post, just let us know what your thoughts are. And like I remember watching like a vividly watching a live tasting and I was shitting myself. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, this is someone – so a lady by the name of Jill Stark from Melbourne, she's like quite influential in the non-alcoholic scene and has tried every non-alcoholic drink under the sun. And I was watching it nervous. And like when she said, I love this spritz, like so often I'm like, holy crap, actually people like it, not just us in our focus mm-hmm. groups. And that was the first point at which we thought, okay, cool. We give us a bit of confidence. Um, and then from there, we actually sent our drinks to four international drinking award ranging from what they call the Oscars of beverage and things like that. So the London Spirits, the San Fran Spirits, the IWSC Awards, and also the World Drinks Awards. And all of our drinks got awarded a gold, silver, or bronze in in all their categories, um, which again, fueled that confidence that we had. And we actually took out best no and low alcohol drink in the world at one of them, which was crazy. And then that really just means now that I know we've got a really strong portfolio of products that we can go into any store, any venue and say, hey, we know this is good. People much smarter than us, much more experienced than us have said so. People who listen to this podcast regularly will know how big I am on business awards and yep. just the credibility driver that it that it that it is. And also I guess approaching retailers, going in with that little and this is a word I only learned the other year. The going in with your little awards dinkus on, you know, on your marketing information, yep. saying that you're a winner and all of that. That's that's that third party confidence booster for the retailer mm-hmm. as well. Going, oh, it's not just these two people saying it's good. Yeah, these yep. third parties who are experts know that it's good as well. Mm. I think that's really important and interesting that that was part of your launch strategy. Yeah, no, it, it was, and I think it was almost like on the fly as well because like holy we need like shit we need to be able to say they're good and not just rely on what people's first experiences or impression mm-hmm. but the feedback has been really good obviously since then and the sales are, are definitely trending up based on and the reorders are really really strong which is which is the most encouraging um but yeah definitely we needed to get a little bit of like validation before we really went hard yeah, and I find it interesting as well that you started, I guess, food service, you would call it, going into cafes and everything as well. That's a really great way that people are trying it. It's on the mm. menu. It's being served. Um, you yep. can really drive trial in a, the hospitality industry without kind of some of the risks of being, you know, in bigger FMCG retailers to start with. Yeah, 
Exactly. So in that first kind of six months, let's talk about like how you marketed it. So obviously there'd be, I guess you said there's, you did some seeding to people who are influential in industry. You've got the awards. Was there anything that worked really well for you? Like did social media and influences like a big part of your strategy? And was there anything you did kind of from that marketing perspective that just didn't work at all for you? You know what? We had an underdeveloped marketing strategy and that was because of a few things. One, we were new to the category and we didn't know what channels were going to work the best for us. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, we're still fleshing out what's working and what's not. Um, two, we didn't want to create all this mental awareness and everyone saying, hey, what's this brand, et cetera, if we could do that, um, and have nowhere to buy us. So it was kind of marrying up the mental and physical availability of the product, which is, I guess, a really present um, debate in startup because our online sales are strong, but we wanted to match up our advertising with our retail availability. And just after launching, it was, you know, whatever number of lockdown we went into over that Christmas. So we basically lost a really big portion of the summer trading season because we're in lockdown or in and out of lockdown. So retailers weren't seeing new brands. Non-alcoholic wasn't on the top of the agenda. We were pretty much, I'd say we launched an FMCG product at possibly one of the hardest times in recent history to launch an FMCG product Mm -hmm. and no less in a category that is still requiring a bit of explanation. Where do you sit on the shelf? Uh, what do you taste like? What, you know, what, what's the price point? So, I mean, it was a vortex of challenges, I suppose. And for us, we were just trying to be as nimble, economical, and I guess innovative as we could with our marketing. So we'd give it to influencers and social media became a big strategy, but we didn't pay a single influencer for the first six, eight months because we were like, we don't know if it's going to work. If you like it, tell your friends. If you don't like it, you know, we don't want to know about it. <laughs> but thankfully, we didn't actually get anyone saying, I don't like it. Um, and most people actually said, hey, this is great. You know, I'm training or I'm cutting down or I'm pregnant or whatever it may be. So influencer marketing was really good, but we wanted to keep it as organic. And then we've tried bits and pieces of everything. You talked earlier about Australia and such a strong drinking culture, right? It's part of almost every socialization. Like I said before, I'm having a lunch here tomorrow. You know, there'd be alcohol. There'll be, yes, you can. We'll be on the menu as well now. Thank you very much. But it is such a part of what bonds us socially here in Australia. How do you go about kind of marketing something that goes against the norm? Like it's probably easy to um, market an alcoholic beverage, but when you're essentially giving something that's against the norm, is that is that a challenge from a marketing perspective or messaging? I th- on one hand, I think it's one of the most difficult times to launch, you know, a, a CPG product into the market because of the lockdowns. On the other hand, in terms of drinking culture, lockdowns have really exposed people's drinking behaviors. People have really Mm. reflected upon what does health and well-being look like to me? What makes me feel good? And a lot of people found that drinking alcohol didn't make them feel good. And specifically with social drinkers, which Tyler and I fall into that category of social drinkers. Like we don't ever really drink at home. And so we're only drinking out with friends. And when you can't catch up with friends, you're not drinking. You suddenly notice that you're sleeping better. You're feeling more awake and active and energetic in the day. And you just feel good. Your skin clears, like everything starts to improve. And I think a lot of people had that realization. And therefore there has been this this kind of strong tailwind 
you know, for health and wellness and cutting back on alcohol. So in a way, we haven't needed to, uh, education is going to be a big part of our business, but Mm -hmm. the people that have come on board really easily are already aware of how bad the drinking culture is and the negative effects of alcohol. But on the other hand, it's funny because we get some really like mean comments from that really toxic um, mentality, like mm-hmm. some of the ads that we've done. Tyler, you'll be able to recall some of the comments, but they're basically like, you know, you you need a tampon because you're drinking like non-alcoholic drinks, saying it's like such a bitch thing uh, to do. Yeah, you know, it's uh, just like the, yeah, the just comments, tr- being trolled. Yeah, but it's quite yeah. fun. To be honest, we it's we funny. take it. With a grain of salt because yeah. we've built a brand that interplays with the alcohol, right? Actually, 90 plus percent of our customers drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. We're not preaching sobriety. We are just there for you when you need us. So mm-hmm. I think the fact that we're not we're not the enemy of alcohol, mm-hmm. our slogan is taking the piss out of drinking, memories made, not wasted. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we are irrever- irreverent. We are not too serious. We're not preaching sobriety. So I mm-hmm. think... Like it allows itself to be to fit into the lifestyle and social lifestyle of our customer. Yeah. Has there been any challenge in marketing yourself as essentially a non-alcoholic cocktail versus like a lemon lime and bitters or a Schweppes agram or something like that? You're not just like a, a nice kind of soft drink. It's also fills that void of, of the cocktail. Yeah. So there's a fair bit that goes into it and it's a pretty big education piece mm. um, around it. The easiest answer I say is just try us. Mm-hmm. If you if you still think we're a soft drink after you try us, then you know have your money back. But it's a, a very valid question. The specifics around it go into a whole number of things. But basically, we're using extracts that have been distilled right down from an original alcoholic composition. Our costs in use of flavors, because to create that sort of deep flavor profile, crafted flavor profile of what would you would expect in a in an alcoholic cocktail, particularly a premium cocktail that we're trying to uh, replicate? It is a like our cost in use of flavors would be six, seven, eight times that of your sparkling your soda category. Mm-hmm. And in addition, we've actually got our own proprietary blend of botanicals in all of our drinks, dosed to different percentages based on the actual real drink um, reference. That gives you a little bit of that burn, so a little bit of that alcoholic burn, warmth in your throat that you'd expect when you're having, um, let's say, a real alcoholic drink. We replicated that. Mm -hmm. That's something that we funded to do and is unique to our drinks and is a huge differentiator, but it is a question that we have faced. And I I actually loved when we started doing um, the taste testings just at home when we were getting the first sort of samples and, you know, we were experimenting with the flashback feeling that you get Mm. that warmth in the back of your throat. I was like, surely this has alcohol in it. Like, I feel tipsy. Mm. You are lying to me. Like, this has got alcohol in it. And Mm -hmm. the proof was there was none. But it resembled so accurately the feeling of having a cocktail, the placebo effect of it. Did you guys ever think you'd know so much about non-alcoholic beverages as you kind of have just explained to me all that science side and all of all of the mentality and psychology behind it? It's funny how much you learn in like what one year of, I guess, a year of development and a year of being in the market, um, how much you need to become experts. It is interesting. Tyler's a really fast learner. I'll give him that. Tell me what you think has kind of been the biggest lesson that you've learned in this business to date. 
Oh, it's a good question. I think the order in which we have approached it, I would have changed. So we basically went around building a product, Mm -hmm. building a brand, and then we're like, shit, we need to find a way to get this out to the people. Mm -hmm. What I would have done had I had my time again is would have gone to a few key distributors, venues, or retailers and said, hey, this is where we're at. Come on the journey with us. Uh, We will give you a period of distribution, exclusivity, whatever we could have worked out. And then had that support from the start. Um, like right now, for example, we're getting some distribution wins. We've just launched in uh, Woolies Metro around Amazing. Sydney and New South Wales, which is a really big win for us. Huge win. Um, and they've been really supportive. Uh, we're an independent grocer, an independent liquor. We're in um, a, a 45 first choice liquors, 30 Dan Murphy. So they're getting ourselves out there. Um, some awesome venues from Opera Bar right down to your local you know, fish and chip shop. But it's been a grind getting them on board and sort of keeping mm. like the messaging has been hard to convey to eat, to the customers about where you can find us. Mm-hmm. I think at the start we would have pitched to a couple of channels mm-hmm. and built the brand out with them um, instead of just saying, holy crap, we've got 100 pallets and we need to move them. Do you have a long shelf life at least? That's the hard thing with consumable products. If it's got like a six-month shelf mm. life, it, the pressure's on, right? Yeah, so we do. It's not bad. So they're all preservative free now. The formula is all preservative free, which is something we've worked hard to remove mm-hmm. anything artificial from the drinks. Mm-hmm. And the shelf life is 18 months. So we we, oh, we do have some time. Um, some big retailers want a, a minimum expectation. Yeah, on when they receive lives. it. Mm-hmm. So, but but yeah, we've worked really really hard um, on giving a strong shelf life without any nasties. Yeah. Tell me about, so we'll say the last couple of years because, you know, you had that year of from sample to launch and then also the year of being in the market. Tell me a bit about your lowest low on this business journey and then bring us back up at the end with your highest high. So um, similarly, just on the same note of like what's one of the biggest lessons has also probably been one of the biggest um, low lights, I think, which is, I think startups look kind of easy and fun, and the the reality is they're not. They're really, really fucking hard, mm-hmm. and it takes a lot of time and energy and sacrifice. And you know, media kind of creates this really fun culture of startups, but it's it takes a lot of long nights and a lot of stress. And you know, I think weirdly, one of the it's like a highlight and a low light was pre-launch when, you know, I'd be up with our child and Tyler's up and out of the house early and he's into the office and he's wanting to work and he's he's head down in his laptop all the time, burning himself out essentially. Mm-hmm. I'm taking care of our child, trying to keep the house clean. We're trying to cross over roles, worrying about getting him down for like three naps a day, which takes time, feeding him solids in between. It's like the steep learning curve of motherhood as he was only a few months old at the time. And then you've got the steep learning curve of a startup and I would be putting him down at night and then jumping straight onto my laptop and working until midnight. And then we were surviving on no sleep. And in a way, we felt a bit like ships passing in the night to some extent because we're just so busy with our respective roles and like squeezing in what we could do when we could do it. But on the other hand, it was kind of a fun time. Like 
you almost feel a bit like superwoman. You're just ticking off so many things in your day. There's no era to be sick though. Like there's no, you, you can't be sick for a day. Or hungover. Or, it all, or hungover or it all crumbles. But it was kind of fun, you know, start like building something together and both being in it together. And I don't think I would um, have the same level of like respect and understanding for Tyler if I wasn't in it with him. I think I'd be a bit like, hurry up and get home and like bath Mm -hmm. him but because we were in it together and we've put into this our money as a family and we've made the sacrifices to do it it's if we do feel like a team in that sense and we still argue all the time (laughs) we've got creative differences but it has been really awesome yeah working together in a sense would you say that kind of constitutes the highest highs that you've been able to build this together I've got um, two that really stand out to me. Yep. One was when we were doing the focus groups where our t- for our taste testing, specifically the Aperol spritz. We were struggling to get like absolutely perfect. And I, because that's the drink that like, you know, I really wanted to for it to be perfect because that's kind of what seeded the idea in the first place. So we had like three final iterations and we were like, we feel like they're pretty good. Like we're going to do a bigger focus group. And we actually had in the blind taste test scene, we'd put a real Aperol spritz in there. And 80% of people had said that they preferred our drink to a real Aperol spritz. And then we had more and more of those comments after we launched and people were trying our drinks. They were like, I actually prefer it. So Mm -hmm. it was just really cool because I prefer it to a real Aperol myself. And so just to hear that, that the market thought the same, I thought was really awesome. And to know that, well, we're trying to compete with a real alcoholic drink but people are actually preferring this to the real alcoholic version which is pretty cool that's very validating very validating and then the second highlight was well this happened a few times but one example sticks out in particular Tyler and I were just walking up from the beach and we'd stopped one of the cafes locally like close to our house and we were walking up from the beach and we saw the waiter taking a whole bunch of drinks off the shelf of their fridge and we're in our head like the imposter syndrome because this is like early days launching business we're like oh my gosh they're not moving people don't like them they must be moving them off the shelf because they're just not selling and the guy takes them like this handfuls like six drinks in both hands like and he takes them and he gives them to a customer who was buying them and then the customers walked off down the road with their drinks in their hand and we just thought that was just one of the coolest things that we'd seen. How good is seeing your own product in the wild? Yeah, so awesome. Yeah. Well, I just spent all morning actually. I was racing around from Woolies to Woolies and making sure that we're on shelf okay. It's quite cool. Somebody bought one and I didn't know that person and they bought a Mm four-pack and um, that was like really, really validating and and in many ways does validate a lot of the hard work. Um, and if one person likes them and tells a friend and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. it's the old school way of going viral. Like you mm-hmm. would tell a friend and then that word of mouth would spread it. So that's still a big part of what we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm very excited to be serving it tomorrow. So we're going to have 10 ladies trying them all. So I'm very excited for that. I'm sure Amazing. my friends are going to love them. Um, so. And then I'll make sure they tell everybody. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Not that you need our help, but, you know, every little bit helps. Yeah. 100% <laughs> it does. No, def- and look, it really does. And I think just on that note as well, it's funny. People will see us in Woolies and say, you guys must be killing it. They'll mm-hmm. see a LinkedIn post and they'll be like, yeah. oh, man, you guys are absolutely smashing it. Yeah. Like the fact of the matter is we're not profitable yet. We haven't. We won't make profit on a monthly basis 
probably for the next three to six months. We're mm-hmm. still funding it. Like mm-hmm. there is like we will do like some massive behind the scenes sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still in here packing boxes some days. Like yeah. it is it is very much that duck on water. Tyler um, even had his mum his mum packing boxes with him yeah. the other night. Up till midnight, you know, she's yeah. in there with him packing boxes. So sweet. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's like very it's that and it's like that weird place. It's a small business. You want to seem really credible and really um, professional, mm-hmm. but the behind the scenes stuff is is super important because people would say, "Oh, they don't need me to buy it." I'm like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, we need support. We're yeah. we're building a community out here, and behind the scenes is is interesting and mm-hmm. and really revealing, and and you know we'll open up about that as well." Yep, it is. It is a real balance between wanting to look like a professional, established, credible brand for your retailers and for future opportunities yeah. and your brand identity, but then yeah. it's I guess juxtaposed with the whole. I'm sitting here late at night packing boxes and doing yeah. all the grunt work myself. And I'm sure every single brand listening can can identify with that. Tell me, is there a piece of advice either that you've been given or that you want to give to listeners? A lot of listeners are early stage entrepreneurs that you think might be helpful for them. One thing that I think it would be, it would fall into my learning category. It would be find a, a mentor or a couple of mentors it's not something that we necessarily did. We are surrounded by people who have done well in business. Um, so I suppose we borrow information from here and there. If I was starting this again, I think I would try and identify a couple of people who are quite, who I could go to as a sounding board, whether they're an investor or a mentor or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be something that I haven't done, but I would advise to, to do. Um, yeah, I suppose that would be my biggest piece of advice. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know if this is really advice, but Tyler and I talk about this a lot together, which is really great for keeping a bit of perspective when things are tough, that a lot of people would love to do a startup. It's a dream for a lot of people. And we are really lucky in that sense that we've been fortunate enough that Tyler sold his previous business so we could fund this next one. And we actually get to roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty and actually have fun and it's stressful, but we're actually living a lot of people's dreams. And I think that's, it's quite important to keep in check sometimes because, yeah, we're really lucky in that sense and it's mm. easy to lose sight of it sometimes. It is. It's really easy to get bogged down in the everyday stuff, the mundane parts of running a business, like balancing your zero streams and doing all that yeah. stuff that's just not as glamorous as you would think. But that's the reality of, of living that dream of owning your own business, isn't it? Yeah. If it was easy, everyone would do it, right? Absolutely. And I think um, I think it's something that we're living right now. It's like it's classic and it's cliche, but I, I believe in it. It's always darkest before the dawn, mm-hmm. meaning that you're just not far away from actually having that breakthrough. And we paint a nice picture. And the, the fact of the matter is the brand is popular and the drinks taste good. But there's so much that goes in behind the scenes that you do have your doubts and you've got your setbacks and one retailer is loving it, the other hasn't positioned it where you like it, the other one thinks this flavor is good and that's not it. It's a constant juggling act. And there was plenty of times when I was like, so this is so hard, like, damn it. And we talked each other off the ledge a few times where it's like, okay, keep going. It's always darkest before dawn. We're in this, like the valley of death in startup. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of the valley of death is this amazing peak that you can climb and summit. But I think a lot of businesses, like there's some crazy stat about X amount failing in Y time, but I think a lot of it is because the the valley of death takes 
takes too many prisoners mm-hmm. so or casualties. I, I think if we can just push a little bit further mm-hmm. um, and just sort of grit just a little bit further with obviously some smarts about it, no point banging your head against a wall. But I think, yeah, that sort of perseverance piece and having that context, hey, we're not far, we're still super young, let's focus on what we do and, and we are getting some, um, some wins on the back of it. Mm. And one year in since launch, yep. you're still yep. very young. It's hard yes. to not yep. get ahead of yourself, isn't it? But essentially, one year in, at the in a couple of months, right? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Still early days, and to have achieved yep. what you guys have achieved in the last twelve months is incredible already. So you do have to. It's hard to step back, though, isn't it? Because you know what it, the day to day looks like and all of that. But I mean, given that it is still early days, if you could go back and do it all over again, would you do it again? <laughs> I, I would. I, do, I would. I, I would, but I'd do it differently. Yeah. Would I? Yeah. Would I walk the same path? Uh, I'd be kicking myself if I did. But I think where we've landed now, we've got the bones of what could be a really sustainable, like legacy business that we wouldn't have got to where we got to had we not, you know, started. Obviously. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. I think what you're doing is something that is going to grow and scale and be really incredible. I think you've come in at the right time. Like you were saying, Sophie, the psychology of people looking at themselves and their own drinking behaviors and everything through COVID and all of that, you've kind of capitalized on such a great time, but you've paired it with not only a product that's like aesthetically a product that people would want to drink and look at and be seen holding, but also ticks all the boxes of what people are looking for in terms of taste and feeling that kind of occasion. So, I think it's only going to be amazing. I can't wait to watch how well you guys go. I think it's going to be really great. And I'm Thank so you. happy to have had you on here in the early days to talk about this journey because we're going to look back in five years and be like, oh, my God, I could never get them on the podcast these days. They're just too busy. <laughs> now, for people who want to know more, who want to purchase the product, where can we find you online and on socials? So online, um, just yesyoucandrinks.com. Mm-hmm. And on socials, just the same, actually. So, yes, you can drinks on Instagram, uh, TikTok as well. We have a very infantile uh, TikTok no, uh, presence at the moment, but it is a channel that we're actually going to have a lot of fun with. But, yeah, yes, you can drinks.com. Um, that, that's where you'll get our full range of limited edition products. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing the story. I can't wait to get stuck into the product tomorrow and share it with all of my friends and congratulations on building something really amazing and incredible level of success you've already have. I mean, landing a Woolies Metro gig is no small deal. So huge congratulations. Well, thank you so much for having us. It's been such an honor to speak to you today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Behind the Brand. Now, guys, if you loved today's episode, I would love if you would leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts. And for your time, I will send you a copy of a press release template that you can use in your small business straight away. So all you need to do is pop onto the Apple Podcasts app, leave a written review, take a screenshot, head over to Instagram and DM it to me over at at behindthebrand.podcast and I will email you your press release template. Sound like a good deal? Talk soon.